story of hope. I hope you're encouraged. Uh, this week, uh, the word hopeful, that's what's been resonating in my heart is hopeful. One reason I'm hopeful is because of our church family. And I just think of what we've been through together and how by God's grace, we persevered. We've continued to pray together. We've been patient together. And I feel like we've come too far to be anything but united right now. So vaccinated or not vaccinated, mass or no mass. No, we're going to stay united. Keep our eyes on Jesus. We've come this far together. God's going to continue to lead us forward as well. We thank the Lord. And uh, I also uh, feel hopeful for different reasons. I think of the staff right now, the team that God has brought together, and I'm so grateful. We are out of debt. We have no debt as a church. So you think of our financial situation right now by God's grace, and you look around at the needs. There's never been more obvious needs around us, more opportunities, and this is a time right now where God is moving. And ultimately, we're hopeful because of God and who he is. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is faithful, and he is good. And let that song of hope start to stir in your heart today. The message is from Zephaniah chapter 3, God sings over us. This is a powerful chapter. Zephaniah chapter 3, God sings over us. This is a hopeful ending to this book, a short book, three chapters. We're going through the minor prophets. We've gone through Joel and now Zephaniah. God sings over you. Would you let that sink in today? Wonderful, radical God sings over you. Let's pray and let's lift up the Middle East and everything that's happening there as we pray together. Father God, we thank you that we're gathered together to worship you. We are gathered in love. We are gathered in truth. And God, we lift up to you the situation in the Middle East. We pray for the peace, God. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God, we know that there's a lot of uh, damage. There's a loss of lives. And we pray that people would turn to you across the Middle East, Jesus. You are the Prince of Peace. And we pray they would seek and find you, God. And Lord, it's a reminder to all of us, Lord, that we want to live for you. We see so much happening in our world, and we don't want to shrink back and be intimidated or fearful. You don't give us the spirit of timidity, but power and love. God, may it be a wake-up call for us, stirred to pray, stirred to love our neighbor, and Lord, to live for you. Our, our desire, God, is to live for you. Our desire now is to worship you by offering ourselves fully to you, trusting you. Move in power today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Because the prophet Zephaniah listened to God, he had a more complete and full and accurate view of God. And it's hard-pressed to find anything more important in our lives than an accurate, full view of God. That'll change everything. To see God and to know God, that's first. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then everything else will be added now, Zephaniah is going to describe God's justice and his love and how they come together. And this is a fierce book. I don't think there's any other prophet that really paints the picture like Zephaniah does of both God's justice and his love together. And one thing to remember about Zephaniah is that he's royalty. His great-great-granddaddy was King Hezekiah. And you think about descendants, the importance of descendants in that culture, for him to be royalty, and yet he doesn't shrink back, he's going to risk, and he's going to restore. And it's an important reminder for all of us that we are royalty. Jesus is the King of kings. You are co-heirs with Christ. What an awesome privilege to be in God's family. You are royalty, 
And at the same time, don't let that royalty and that position and that security hold you back or be complacent. Instead, risk and restore. And that includes for Zephaniah bringing a message that people didn't want to hear, but they needed to hear. And in this time, when the world gets bolder about sin, we need to have a message in our hearts that also sometimes isn't what people want to hear, but it's what they need to hear. And it's a wake-up call in love to bring people back to God. And that's his message. The setting was 640 to 620 B.C. And Zephaniah was talking to a lot of people with hard hearts. You know, all of us have hearts that can harden. You say, well, how does that work? We get a little complacent with our faith. Maybe we neglect some of those spiritual habits. We start to wander and drift from God more than we realize. And then what happens is we start to say yes to sin in some different ways. And as we say yes to some sin, maybe it's sin people don't see, but we say yes, we start to harbor sin. We get a little few secret sins, sin patterns in our life. And then pretty soon we realize, you know, I'm not on fire for the Lord. And actually when we hear the word of God, it's kind of convicting. And instead of returning to the Lord and repenting, sometimes we want to hold on to our sin. And we don't really respond to God's word and the prompting. We stop listening to God, and that's where the people were. Zephaniah brought the message to them in that condition, and that's not an easy thing to do. Have you ever talked to someone who has kind of a hard heart, but you know God is leading you to say something? And maybe in your mind you even fear the reaction and you play out the scenario ahead of time, but no, stay faithful. Trust God with the results. Sometimes God sends you to someone who has a hard heart. And they needed a turnaround, a personal turnaround, a national turnaround, a global turnaround. It was needed then just like it's needed today. We need a turnaround. We need God's hope. We need God's word. We need God's spirit. Well, what does this turnaround look like? Here it is, God sings over you. How does that relate to a turnaround? God sings over you. There is a song that we all are going to listen to today, and it's God's song. We need to listen to this song. There's no song like this song. There's going to be three parts to this song that we're going to highlight, and it's from Zephaniah chapter 3. Here's the first one. God is drawing people from all nations to himself in a mighty awakening. God is drawing people, this is his song, from all nations to himself in a mighty awakening. Now, in this chapter, we're going to get the before and the after. Let's start with the before. Chapter 3, verse 1. Woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials are roaring lions. Her rulers are evening wolves who leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are arrogant. They are treacherous men. Her priests profane the sanctuary. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no wrong. Morning by morning, he dispenses his justice. And every new day, he does not fail. Yet the unrighteous know no shame. I have cut off nations, their strongholds are demolished. I have left their streets deserted with no one passing through. Their cities are destroyed. No one will be left, none at all. God is bringing his justice, his discipline, he's rebuking in these first verses. You know what a key verse is in this short book? It's chapter 1, verse 7. Two words, be silent. Be silent. 
Be silent before the Lord. Be silent, in Zephaniah says, the day of the Lord is approaching. There's no prophet who uses that phrase as many times as Zephaniah, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is approaching. A day of accountability is approaching. Humble yourselves, be silent before the Lord. Now, it's important to note historically here the context, 620, that's about 100 years after Israel having 12 tribes used to be united, 10 in the north, two in the south, and the division that happened, well, the 10 in the north in 722 were taken out by Assyria. They rebelled against God. They chose idols. They were violent. They had all kinds of rebellion. And God said, that's enough. And Assyria came in and took the 10 tribes out. You would hope that the two tribes in the south over those 100 years would note what happened and not go that same direction. Sometimes we see an example, and we need to turn the other way from what we're seeing. But that was where God wanted them to go. It's not where they were going. And who did Zephaniah just describe? It's important. Prophet, priest, and king. You probably noticed he highlighted those three roles, prophet, priest, and king, in the start of this chapter. Now, there was corruption, and there was arrogance on every level, prophet, priest, and king. When you read the Bible, take note of the prophet, the priest, and the king. Now, who did God raise up? He raised up a prophet, a priest, and a king for the turnaround. The prophet, Zephaniah. His name means, you know, the Lord is our portion. Turn to the Lord is what he's saying. Zephaniah was the priest, and then the prophet, Zephaniah was the prophet. And then the priest, uh, you try to say prophet, priest, and king and keep these names straight. I'll tell you, pray for me. Uh, so the prophet Zephaniah. Then we've got the priest is Hilkiah who discovers God's word and calls people back to the word. He says, look what I found. We've drifted so far from the word. Come back to the word. So we've got the prophet Zephaniah. We've got now the priest Hilkiah and then the king Josiah who at age eight stepped in to the kingship because his daddy was killed at age eight he stepped in and he was courageous get rid of the idols we want it healthy again in the temple we're returning to god in this land and god used prophet priest and king to speak to the people now this is what god does he will raise up someone when someone's drifting in their role god will raise up someone else who's trusting him integrity going all out for him and prophet priest king step up and the nation starts to change and this is what happens it's a foreshadowing of jesus who is our prophet priest and king Every prophet, priest, and king in the Bible that honors the Lord, it's a foreshadowing and appointing to the one who is prophet, priest, and king, who will rule and reign forever, perfect, finally, gets it right, leads well. That's our Jesus. So don't miss what God's doing on many levels as you read the book of Zephaniah. And uh, you say, well, why does God bless the Israelites? Why does God bless us? And here's the answer so that you will bless the nations and bless the generations. Why has God blessed you today in your life? Why has he taught you things spiritually? How has he provided you financially? How has God blessed you in so many ways? Here's the reason. So you will bless the nations and you will bless future generations. If right now you're not blessing the nations and blessing future generations, then you need to come back to a theological understanding of why God blesses you.
And they were trying to take this in. And this goes back to Jeremiah chapter 32. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all of my heart and soul. And when you think about how God has preserved Israel, it's indication again that his word is true and that God is faithful. That nation has not been destroyed, even though everyone has wanted to destroy. Some, you know, it seems like all the neighbors want to destroy it over and over again throughout history. God has protected her. God stands by his word. He will bless her. When she drifts far away, he calls her back and sometimes disciplines. And that's what you see in this passage. You know, that's what we see today as well. Uh, but it's not just the Israelites that God loves. God loves people from all nations. Look at verse 10. Here's an important clue. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, my scattered people will bring me offerings. Well, Cush, what's that? That's the furthest away place. I mean, Ethiopia, and it says beyond Cush. What is God saying here? He loves people to the ends of the earth. It's not just the Israelites. He loves Jew and Gentile. And he will go, he will leave the 99 and go find the one. The person that you think is too far for God to reach, God has not given up on that person. God will go to that person and he calls back. He goes to those who are scattered in exile and he calls them back in his love to return. And it's interesting as you read Jew and Gentile throughout the Bible, you can read Romans chapters 9 through 11, how God, Jesus was Jewish, those disciples Jewish, but then the blessings spread to the Gentiles. But then even in this passage right here in verse 16, we see Gentiles speaking life into the Jewish brothers and sisters and Jew and Gentile, this plan where God has in the fullness right now, the time we live in, Gentiles turning to Jesus, but then also we're praying for a revival and Israelites to understand who the true Messiah is. And God is weaving it together in our world today, just like he was doing then. Uh, what, what's ultimately God's heart? Well, this is from Isaiah chapter 66. In verse 18, God says, I am about to come and gather all nations and tongues, and they will come and see my glory. And then he says in verse 19, I will send some of those to the nations, and he lists them, and I will send them to the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations. There will be people in every tribe and nation and tongue. They're going to be in heaven. We're going to be one family, God's family rejoicing together, and we're not there yet. So what is God doing now? He's stirring the hearts of his people. I think of uh, how our church, it's a passion in our church to bring God's love to the nations, the gospel to the nations. We had an intern named Colson, and he served so well, grew so much, and he served with uh, Grace Kids. And God called Colson to go overseas, and as he wrapped up and serving here on staff, he's now in Vanuatu. Say, well, that's one of those distant islands, isn't it? Yeah, he's in Vanuatu, and you know what? He is pouring his life into the youth there, and there are lives, there are so dozens and dozens and dozens, and he's just going around, and more are coming to the Lord, and more are coming to the Lord. You see, that's the 
picture. If you're here in Auburn, you serve. It might be Grace Kids. You serve. And then if God calls you, you go to the distant islands and you bring the love of God and people worship Jesus and they come to know the Lord and there's living water for their souls anywhere in the world. Jesus does that work. Say, well, what are some other examples? I've got a picture here. Uh, This is Sebastian and his son Samuel. This is another one of our international partners. Sebastian served here at Grace. And that's his son who this last week, his appendix burst, little Samuel. And we have, you know, church-wide prayer on Tuesdays at noon, and we gather together and pray. And one of the beautiful things is that it's both in-person and hybrid. And Sebastian has been joining us from Slovenia. And he, you know, joins us on Tuesdays for our our church-wide prayer. And then this week, we were praying for Samuel because your appendix bursts. That's pretty serious. And uh, the good news is God has answered prayer this week. And that's a picture right there that Samuel's recovering. And uh, we're so grateful for God's healing. And also remember Sebastian, your prayers, because Slovenia, he went and uh, planted a church there. And as you look around in the thousands and thousands of people, it's really the only church in the area. So continue to pray for them. Some of our international partners, God's love and glory around the world. I want to show you one other picture, and this is from a country where there's not many followers of Jesus, but they have these gatherings there, and you can see what they set up for a screen, and they've got the computer. So we partnered, it's solid ministry, we partnered, and then you see we bring God's word, and it travels to these different places, remote villages, and uh, people are responding, they're putting their trust in Jesus. We've just seen 135 in these distant villages decide to follow Jesus, and everyone gets a Bible in Urdu as well. Um, Craig mentioned it. There's just silver lining in terms of we're reaching millions by God's grace right now in spreading the gospel. So we will go, we will pray, we will welcome, we will send, we will online tools, whatever we can do to line up with God's heart to bring God's love in the gospel to the world because it's the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world and this world needs hope right now. And as you read your Bible, the closer that we get to the return of Jesus, this is what happens. Uh, More and more, the attention will be on the Middle East, in Israel, and the attention will be on Jerusalem, and that's where the world's eyes will go. And as we read a book like Zephaniah, don't miss it. In chapter 2, verse 4, okay, what are the places Zephaniah is talking about? Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, what have we been hearing in the news all week? Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, the exact same places uh, that we're reading about in Zephaniah are the same places that the world is eyes on and praying for right now. As we get closer to the return of Jesus, the eyes will be on what's happening in Israel. And also God will do this. The closer we get to the return of Jesus, the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. Matthew 24, 14. God said it. The gospel will go to the ends of the earth, the second coming of Jesus. We've never been given so much in this generation right now in the last five years where the gospel 
gospel is spreading. There's 17.4 thousand people groups. There's still about 7.4 thousand to hear the gospel. But through missionaries, media, churches, technology, right now the gospel is spreading at a rapid rate. And we say, come Lord Jesus, come. And all these things, you say that's macro, that's global. It's part of God's song. God's song's very personal. And we'll get to that at the end of the chapter. But it's important we are in the know, we understand the times and see what's happening around the world. And as the challenges increase, may it stir us to be in alignment with God, to abide and respond and be faithful here and around the world. And uh, continue to pray, continue to pray. Uh, That's part of God's song. Here's the second part of God's song. God is purifying his people to serve and spread his love. What is God doing? He is purifying and he's uniting. The Holy Spirit is purifying and uniting. Take a look at chapter 3, verse 9. Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. Isn't that a great picture? Call on the name of the Lord. Purity, unity, and let's serve God shoulder to shoulder. Shoulder to shoulder. That's what you see in the Bible. Jesus brought on Peter, James, and John shoulder to shoulder. When you see the worship team up here, uh, one sings, one plays guitar, one plays the keys, one hits those drums and has a lot of fun, and they're all making a joyful noise to the Lord shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to shoulder. You know what happened? Um, One of my kids just went down to serve. What happens right before the service? Downstairs, the team of people that are ready to pour in their lives and pour in God's word into the kids in all the classrooms. They are shoulder to shoulder. The ushers this morning, they are shoulder to shoulder. We gather as a staff and we're working here shoulder to shoulder. I encourage you, if you don't have anyone there shoulder to shoulder, get on a team. Discover your spiritual gift. Get on a team and serve. It's the Lord's will. It's the Lord's plan. We're shoulder to shoulder, purity, unity, and serving together. What a great picture. Shoulder to shoulder. Let's be next to each other as we're glorifying the Lord. And the people were kind of resisting. They were complacent, but ultimately they had no excuses because God had blessed them so much and they were catching up. You know, they're catching up. And uh, ultimately God is faithful. God can be trusted. And when you want to live for God, God's going to write the script. The first part is the heart and it's the response in gratitude. You say, well, what does this song look like? Here's more of the song and more of the hope. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 11. On that day you will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me because I will remove from the city those who rejoice in their pride. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill. But I will leave within you the meek and humble who trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will speak no lies, nor will deceit be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. So here it is. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord... The king of Israel is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. What does that mean? Your hands hang limp. Uh, Fear, discouragement, shame. Hands hanging limp. 
The biblical posture, hands lifted up. The Bible says, lift up your hands together in prayer. Lift up your hands in worship. It's a sign of praise. It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of trust. The biblical posture for hands is not hanging limp and your head down. God is a lifter of our heads. He says, lift up your hands in prayer, in praise, triumph. Hands lifted up is a symbol of triumph, confidence in the Lord. We have a king who overcame the grave, and so our hands are lifted up for King Jesus, and that is the biblical posture. God is stirring the people. He says, sing, shout aloud, rejoice, gladness. We don't read half-hearted worship, religion, partly devoted, complacent. (laughs) That's what happens when you don't listen to God. When you do listen to God, you come alive because you hear his voice and you hear his song. And it's a place of security. It's a place of assurance. Throughout the Bible, one of the main themes is that God wants you to know how much you're loved by God. How much you're loved and to receive that love. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. Doesn't that sound like abiding? We know God's love. We rely on God's love. We are abiding in God's love in all situations where we live, work, learn, or play. That was Mike's story that we just watched, right? He lost his job. It's hard enough going through a pandemic. But then right out of the gate, when you lose your job and you're waiting months in between jobs, there's a lot of people at our church right now that are in that situation. And what did Mike say? He said, I got tired of feeling sorry for myself. And so I got up in the Lord's strength, went down to the Auburn Food Bank. I'm so grateful for the people in our church who serve in the Auburn Food Bank and the ministry there. And he said, I started to hand out food, but then I knew God was stirring me to do more. And so he went down and he started talking to people. Why? Because the number one people, number one thing people need is not food, it's relationships. The number one thing people need today is not money, it's relationships. And so he was receiving encouragement and, you know, he thanked different people in our church for pouring into him. Now he's going out into the community. And why? Because he knows what it's like to be in the food line. He knows what it's like to not have a dad around. And he's going to step in and he's going to step up with God's love, shoulder to shoulder with other people in the community. You say, well, does everyone there go to our church? No, they don't. We're the body of Christ. Shoulder to shoulder, we serve together. And it's a great thing. And uh, I point that out. Because um, I can't say this enough. The church, has, the church has been influenced by the world more than the church has influenced the world. And what was happening in Israel then is that the world had influenced the followers of God more than the followers of God had influenced the world. And what's happened today in our country is that the nation has influenced the church more than the church has influenced the nation And so it is time for the church to stand up, 
to serve it up, to speak up, and instead of it being reversed, God's design throughout the history of the church has been for the church to be the shining light. We know what God says about widows. We know what he says about orphans. We know what he says about people who don't have food and clean water. We know what he says about sharing the gospel. We know what he says about sharing our story. We know what he says about getting on beyond the walls of church and serving. We know, we know, we know what he says. It's time not just to hear that, but to respond to that. That's the stirring I've been sensing. It's time for the church to wake up shoulder to shoulder in the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of God to go for this thing and stop sitting back and just letting the world influence the church. And so God purifies, God unites. God says, wake up, step up, and serve together. And you say, well, that's God's song. That's God's song throughout the Bible. That's God's song today. Do you hear that song? Do you hear the song of how much he loves the nations? Do you hear the song to purify and unite? Do you hear the song to come together, not isolated, but shoulder to shoulder? This is God's song. And God's song gets better, and it gets more personal. And here's the third part of the song. God is opening the ears of his people to hear his song. Now, as parents, uh, we have four kids, and every single child is a blessing from the Lord. Um, I hope that uh, your heart will break, not just for your own children, but for the children that we see in this generation right now. And, uh, and every child is precious. So we would do uh, this thing when our kids were little that we would uh, sing over the kids. And bath time, uh, sing over the kids. You know, before they go to bed, sing over the kids. Not every night, but you know when that joy comes with your kids, you just kind of start singing over the kids. And as young kids, they received that. But as they grew older, they became more discerning about things like pitch and tone and songs. And (laughs) it just didn't sound the same as they got older. And so I realized as I sing and they get older, it's it's, the response is, Dad, (laughs) Dad. And, And so now I've shifted, try to honor that request. And now I just play music. So when they're in the car, I just turn on the praise. I don't always sing the praise, but I just turn on the praise because they can't go anywhere really in the back seat and they don't have DJ privileges. So the singing now over them and the songs of praise in the house, it's still there. It just doesn't always come from my voice. And sometimes one of the most tender moments is when I'll go to bed at night and some of them are still up and what I hear in their rooms is a little song. It's a song of joy. It's a song of praise. And when I get to walk by their rooms and I hear that song, what it does to dad's heart because I want to sing over my kids and I want my kids to sing a song of joy and I want them to have that song. You say, well, where does that desire come from as a parent? Well, that comes right here from Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. This is a verse you can memorize. This is a verse you can write down. This is an important verse in your relationship with God. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. 
and he will rejoice over you with singing. Let me say that again. The Lord your God is with you, and he is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now, I'm about to make some people a little theologically nervous right here, but I've got to be true to the text. And that word rejoicing means that our God, the creator, it's kind of a spinning, it's an excitement, it is a leaping, and it is a dancing. God dances? Some people are like, I've been telling people for decades they can't dance. <laughs> I'm telling you, God sees you and starts, I don't know what the dance looks like, but, but I tell you, it's not contained. And then he sings over you. God sees you, and with such exceeding joy, he just starts to sing over you. And I got to tell you, when I put my trust in the Lord, a lot of it was cognitive. A lot of it was facts, which are important. And our faith is based on facts. Jesus is risen. The Bible's reliable. You know, I wanted to see the evidence. And I understood that if I put my trust in Jesus, I'm going to have eternal life. And that's given to me. And God keeps promises. So I have that. And that feels good. But I'll tell you, feelings, that was kind of later on for me. And it's still growing just how much God loves you. And to not fight it, but to receive it, and then receive it, and then receive it. Because I'll tell you in your relationship with God, if what is primary for you is knowledge, and knowledge is good, it's good to know the word, but if what's primary for you is thinking, I've got to have the theological knowledge because there's going to be a theological test and God, is it going to be multiple choice or essay or true, false? I want to know something's off if that's primary for you. Morality is important. Morality is important. But in your relationship with God, if your primary view of God is that he sets the bar really high in morality and you better jump and get it the first time and you better clear it well, and you might get a second chance, you might not, but you better get over that moral bar. If that's primary, something's off. Something's off. If primary in your relationship with God, and now the promises are good and real, but if your primary view of God is a business transaction in a formula, in a condition, and you do that, he produces that, and you're in that mode all the time, and that's primary, something's going to be unhealthy. It's going to start to look really religious and not so much relationship. Because yes, morality is important. Yes, knowledge is important. Yes, things are conditional in the Bible. But what's primary is this song. This song is what's primary that God sings over you in love. And he says, you know, you're, you're going to see this. Uh, this, is, this is how God works. You know, you're going to see this. Going back to not, not just a Christmas verse, Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And Jesus came in love and he reigns in love. In Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, 
Zechariah 14, 9, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. And how do we put this together where Jesus, the one name and the only name, and God is singing over us, and here's the two mistakes that we make today. One is that we're stuck in shame, and we don't believe that a God that powerful and good would sing over us. And so we just close our ears, and we think, nope, mm, couldn't happen. That's one mistake. The other mistake is that, well, if God sings over me, oh, well, then maybe I need to move him out of the way, and maybe everything's centered on me. No, that's not it either. But here's true humility. He sings over us. He's the king. And we listen to that song. And when you receive that song, it changes everything. This is Paul's earnest desire for the church. Earnest desire. Look at Ephesians. Look at how he prays. Ephesians chapter 3. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and deep and high is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What Paul is longing for is that followers of Jesus would know how loved they are. Because if you know how loved you are, that's going to change the way you love your neighbor. Yes. And maybe, maybe, with all our technology and all our military and all of our research in this country, and yet we struggle to love our neighbor, maybe we're not really loving our neighbor to the full because we're not really hearing the song and receiving God's love in our heart. It's really hard to give what you don't have. And if you don't receive God's love in abundance, it can get pretty stingy going out. And all of a sudden, someone needs to look like this, talk like this, agree with you on this for you to really love them instead of really loving and pursuing your neighbor. Because at the core of it, we stop listening to God's song. We stop receiving his love. And Spurgeon says it this way, faulty as the church is, the Lord rejoices in her. His heart is glad. He rejoices with joy. A highly emphatic expression. He did not sing when he made the earth. Creation could not make him sing. God is so happy with us that he breaks the silence. The sun, moon, and stars with astonishment hear God. And if God sings, shall we not sing? When you hear that song from God, you know what you want to do? You just want to sing and praise him and lift up your hands and serve him and worship him and trust him because there's no song like that song. There's no song as powerful as that song. There's no song as beautiful as that song. And what we need to do primarily is hear the song. And this is how God ends the chapter, speaking through Zephaniah. And I'm going to read the last two verses and just listen to how many times God says, I will. I will. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather those who have been scattered. 
I will give them praise and honor in every land where they were put to shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among the peoples of the earth when I will restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. Why does he say, I will, so many times? It's because it's his grace, and it's his power, and it's his provision. It's not our striving. It's our trusting. It's our receiving. It's our hearing the song. Let's pray together. Father God, we open up our ears to hear your song. This song, God, that you sing over us, uh, we're so humbled, God, to read that you're with us, that you delight in us, that you dance, that you sing. And God, you quiet us with your love. God, this song, we're hearing this song grow, God. We live in a culture where there's so much noise, such a pace, so many voices, so many rants, so many opinions. And God, you quiet us with your love to hear your voice and to hear your song. And God, the song that we're singing is how you're drawing people from the nations. And the song, God, is one of purity. And the song is one of unity. And the song is one of serving together. And God, all that comes from this song of your love to our hearts. Father, we read in the word that your banner over us is love. And God, we read in the word how you rejoice over us like a groom with the bride. Lord, I pray today you would open up our ears to hear your song, to hear your song afresh. God, for people right now who are feeling isolated, people who look and don't have much money in the bank account, don't have a job right now, in between jobs. God, for people who have cancer right now. God, for people who have been betrayed by a friend, people who have been slandered today, God. God, may your song be heard in the nations where there's war. May your song be heard, God, where there's no clean water. May your song be heard where the gospel hasn't been proclaimed yet, God. God, we hear your song. We receive your song. We receive your love. We listen and we praise you. We sing together in Jesus' name. Amen. Yo, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.